Turn with me to Psalm 85. Our text today is from Psalm 85. A couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, I preached about Lazarus. He was dead and God brought him back to life. Two weeks ago, we talked about justification. Three weeks ago, justification, what it means that God declares us to be righteous. A lot of times we also refer that as, to that as salvation. Same concept, just different aspects of our salvation. Two weeks ago, we talked about sanctification, how God works to sanctify us. And last week, we looked at some specific sins that God wants us to get out of our life. Now, this week, I want to talk about revival. Maybe you have heard about revival. Maybe you have been experienced uh, a revival. I hope that you will give your attention to the message and to God's word this morning because revival is a common theme in our Bibles. It's not always called revival. There's other terms for it. Uh, Times of refreshing is another term that is used in our Bible. Here in Psalm 85, let me read to you verses 4 through 7. Turn us, O God of our salvation. This is Psalm 85, verse 4. Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. Notice verse 6 again, wilt thou not revive us again? This is someone who has experience with God and his goodness. He maybe has read about or experienced personally how good God has been in the past. And he recognizes that currently it's not the way it should be. And he says, wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, for the opportunity to look into your word. Open our eyes to truth. Help me to communicate clearly and concisely. But most of all, I don't want to be in the way of your message to us as a church. I'm not merely trying to communicate on the intellectual level or the emotional level, but Lord, we want a message from your spirit to our spirit that changes who we are. So we ask for that. We we believe that you have for us great and amazing works that we can't even imagine if we would step out in faith and we would trust you. So we ask for your help this morning to see that, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I enjoy reading. Um, Don't do as much reading as as I probably should do, but uh, one of the things I enjoy reading about is revivals. The first time I remember reading a book about revival, it was Jonathan Goforth's book, uh, By My Spirit, Some of you may have read that book. That's about a revival in Manchuria. I've read about the Welsh revival. Here in the United States, we tend to call them awakenings. There's a first great awakening. Some of you are familiar with the first great awakening. Jonathan Edwards is is associated with that one. There's a second great awakening. Finney is the evangelist most often associated with the second great awakening. Some people count a third and even a fourth great awakening uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't count them. I just know that they've happened here in the United States before. In fact, we've had great revivals here on the West Coast. I'm not familiar with one that's taken place in San Francisco, but I do know that in Portland about 110, 115 years ago now, great revival broke out, people preaching. There were multiple preachers there in the city preaching. 
You say, how do you know it was a revival? Well, number one, all the taverns in the city shut down. There wasn't any business. And the, the proprietors themselves, many of them, their lives were changed. Uh, businesses would close at noon. Just close. I mean, not like give their workers a, a lunch break. Just close. So that everybody could meet for prayer. That's when, when revival breaks out, you don't talk about it. You do. You pray. You witness. You go. That was a great revival that broke out in uh, Portland area. Great revival broke out in Korea before World War I. And Jonathan Goforth, who was then in Manchuria, Manchuria is the northeast part of now communist China. He was ministering in Manchuria. He was not far from Korea, so he went to Korea to inspect this revival and uh, went back to his churches, the churches that he was ministering to in Manchuria, the the uh, men that were preaching there in Manchuria. He began preaching to them, telling them about the revival in uh, Korea, and a revival broke out in Manchuria. Some of you are familiar with the, some of you probably are familiar, uh, mem- remember the evangelistic meetings in Los Angeles in 1949. Some people call this one of uh, America's great awakenings. They were scheduled to preach for just three weeks, but in the end, they preached for eight weeks, and literally thousands of people were saved. Two of the people that were saved in that meeting, one was Louis Zamperini, some of you are familiar with his story, and a second man named Stuart Hamblin. Now, Stuart Hamblin at the time was a singer and a composer of of American country and folk music. Uh, He also happened to be a friend of John Wayne, some of you are familiar with that, that name, well, Stuart Hamblin and uh, John Wayne, because they, they uh, were friends, they spent time together. And after Stuart Hamblin became a Christian, one of the changes that God made in his life was he quit drinking. Just entirely, he quit drinking. So he got together with his friend John Wayne. Now, I, I don't know if you're a big fan of John Wayne. Imagine getting together with John Wayne. And John offered Stuart Hamblin a drink of alcohol. He said, I'll buy you a drink. I'll give you a drink. And, and uh, Stuart said, no, no, I don't uh, drink anymore. And uh, John was surprised. Well, what happened? He says, it's no secret what God can do. That was Stuart's response. It's no secret what God can do. John Wayne said to him, you ought to write a song about that. <laughs> and so Stuart Hamblin did. It's number 566 in our hymn book. Uh, we have just the chorus of the song. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll welcome you. It is no secret what God can do. It's a great movement of God uh, about uh, 75 years ago about among the Africans there in East Africa. If you'd like to read about that one, there's a book, Calvary Road. This church, Elmira Baptist Church, was founded on a revival. If you don't know that story, talk to the, uh, 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 to the Jacobs. They can tell you all about that. I talked to Larry Cantrell for some time. Uh, and his wife, Gloria, they, Larry being a little bit older than Nita, just a few years, right, Nita? And uh, he told me that uh, revival broke out. The children had been attending a Sunday school at the building, the church building across the tracks, been attending a Sunday school over there. They had the preacher in, and I, I, whatever happened, whole families ended up getting saved. Parents, mothers, fathers started going with their children to church. And I said to Larry, I said, So why didn't they just meet in that church over there? He said, that church leadership didn't want them. So they said, we better start a church. And that's how this church got its start. And I I could go on. Uh, Just suffice it to say, I've I've read a lot about revivals. And I encourage you, if you have not read about revivals, to take some time, maybe even this week, to 
to read about revivals. Let me give you some evidences of revival. Evidences of revival. Revivals begin when God's people renew their seeking God and they renew their dedication to promoting God's glory. Now, this spirit among God's people always starts long before the revival. And I'm reminded again this morning as I was listening to another preacher preach, often the preacher isn't even aware of the prayer, the hours and even months of prayer that have gone into a meeting when he arrives. And sometimes he arrives in a bad, with a bad attitude. Think Jonah. And yet, despite the preacher's poor attitude, despite his own lack of of grace, God uses that prayer to bring a revival. That's why, by the way, we're having these cottage prayer meetings. That's why we meet on Wednesday nights to pray. We also meet on Saturday mornings at nine o'clock to pray. We're praying for people by name and we're praying for revival, for a new outpouring of God's Holy Spirit on our church. I hope that you personally have an earnest expectation, a sincere expectation that the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life, in your family, in our church. And when you have that earnest expectation, what do you do? You go often to prayer and you say, God, I I can't. Only you can. One of the evidences of revival is this renewed heart to seek after God, a renewed heart Uh, to be dedicated to what's best for God's glory. Evidences of revival. Revivals are marked by the confession of sin, by repentance, and a new commitment to sanctification among Christians first. Sometimes Americans, we associate revival with people being saved, and that is the end result. That sort of comes at the tail end of, of a revival. But what happens at the beginning is that Christians say, wait a minute, I've got sin in my life. I have problems. There's some things that I've been content to just do wrong, sinfully wrong, and not confess them. And when revival comes, it starts with God's people confessing their sin, repenting, leaving that sin behind, and making a renewed commitment to sanctification. And again, that word simply means that we have a desire for God's holiness in our lives because God says, be ye holy for I am holy. Revivals are not usually scheduled as such. We'll talk toward the end of today's message. We get that far. The the truth is God sovereignly grants revival. You cannot schedule a revival and make God do anything. So I don't want to ever give you the impression, I I try to stay away from calling our meetings revival meetings as if we can schedule revivals. I, I don't see that. But what we can do is we can prepare our hearts for a revival. We can have a sincere expectation that God could send a revival. And during these times of refreshing, during these revivals, during these renewals of God's people, things that would normally take Years or decades to accomplish are accomplished in a few weeks or months. Again, that's how this church got a start. You can imagine some of you may have been involved with church plants. Uh, My wife and I have been. It's a lot of work, often long labor with little results. But when God works quickly, you can see a church start in a matter of weeks or months. The clearest evidence of a revival 
is that God is exalted as his power is revealed. God is exalted as his power is revealed. If you're ever part of a revival and the preacher gets patted on the back and, oh, you're just such a great preacher, that's, you, you didn't experience a revival. Because in that revival, the preacher got the glory. And in true revivals, as I read them over and over, people aren't excited about the preacher's name. They get excited about God. And God is glorified. Now, yes, sometimes we associate preachers. I mentioned Jonathan Goforth and the Manchurian Revival and the Great, Great Welsh Revival. We have Evan Roberts. And I, I, I understand we associate names with those revivals. But it's not the people that are glorified. It's God who gets the glory. Some of you may have heard of reports recently I have about revival breaking out at Asbury University. I don't really know much other than what the news reports, a few news reports that I've listened to. But it did spark my interest in speaking about revival. And the last few weeks of sermons about God's power, about God justifying us, about God sanctifying us, all point to this issue of revival. And I know that I need revival. I need a renewed interest in my relationship with God. You probably need revival. You need a renewed interest in your relationship with God. I know our church needs revival. We've seen some of our friends and family members saved recently, and I rejoice in that. We had a couple of people baptized last week, and I rejoice in that. But what if instead of seeing one or two saved here or there and having to schedule baptisms, what if we just had a baptism every Sunday? Because multiple people were being saved every week. Do you have loved ones? Do you have friends who need a savior? Are they full of worry and care and anxiety? Are they trapped in their sins? Are they in bondage to some addiction? Are they struggling with their relationships? You know what they need? They need a savior. Just like you need a savior and I need a savior. So our church needs to be revived. Elmira Baptist Church needs to be revived so that God's power, the power that raised Lazarus from the dead, the power that saved us, the power that sanctifies us, that power can flow freely through our church. Our state needs revival. Our state needs revival. The state of California, we, we need revival. How many of you know someone in the past year who overdosed on drugs and died? Raise your hand. Go ahead. How many of you know somebody? Look around. What's the answer to that? We need revival. How many of you know someone who's been killed or seriously injured in a drunk driving accident? Maybe they weren't driving drunk, but someone else was driving drunk. How many of you know someone like that? What's the answer to that? Not AA, because if AA was the answer, we wouldn't have drunk drivers. The answer is God's power. What did I tell you? What happened in Portland a hundred years ago when revival broke out, the bars closed down because people had quit drinking. What did I mention about Stuart Hamblin? Nobody came up to Stuart and said, if you take another drink, I'm going to punch you. God's spirit worked on him from the inside out so that when John Wayne offered him a drink, he said, no, thank you. Can you imagine saying no to John Wayne? <laughs> Seriously, though. And evidence of revival is that God's people are sanctified. They're changed from the inside out. And it's because they're changed from the inside out that they have an impact on their uh, unsaved uh, family members and friends. I talked this week with the legislative director of our, our state senator, 
Senator Shannon Grove, and they are pushing uh, a bill in uh, our state legislature to make human trafficking a serious felony. Now, I don't understand all the legal jargon, but I've been told that right now, human trafficking, human trafficking is treated less severely than drug trafficking. There are literally thousands of people every year who are trafficked in our state, not, not the 50 states, in our state alone. Thousands of people who are treated as slaves and abused. And you know what bothers me the most? This is what bothers me the most. This is why I say our state needs revival. It's not just that human trafficking is going on. The legislative director for Senator Grove said, I don't think we can get this bill passed this year. You think that'd be a no-brainer. You think every single senator of our great state would say, wait, wait a minute, we got to put a stop to this. But no. Our nation needs revival. I believe that God's power to save and God's power to sanctify is, is as great today, is as effective today as it was in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, we see literally thousands of people saved on the day of Pentecost. And later, 5,000 people saved. The Bible says the word, of God, the word of God grew, it says. Our nation needs revival. Let's, let's talk about some reasons that you and I ought to seek revival. Some reasons that we need to be serious-minded in our prayers. We need to set aside time to pray privately. We need to set aside to pray publicly, to pray corporately as a group. We need to have that earnest expectation that God will work again. The first reason we ought to seek revival is for our own sakes. As I mentioned, I need revival. You need revival. Uh, just this morning, talking with one of you, we get into our ruts, don't we? We get into our, our comfort zone spiritually. And yeah, you're here this morning. Thank you. I'm, I, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm sincere when I say I'm glad you're here. I'm glad. But could you be doing more to cultivate your relationship with God? Could you be spending more time in prayer? Could you be spending more time in his word? Could you put aside, I, I, I talked to, God bless him. I talked to someone today. I, you know how they're so, people are so innocent. I said, uh, you just had a week off of school. Yes, I did. What did you do with your week off? I watched a lot of YouTube. Now, I don't know what he watched on YouTube. God bless him. Maybe he watched uh, really important stuff. I get the feeling he didn't. Could we set aside all of our entertainment, all the things we do so we can just be brainless and turn our brains off? Can we set aside that aside so we can spend more time in God's word? We need to seek revival for our own sake. We need God's presence in our lives. God's presence in our life should be a normal thing, not a surprise. It should be a normal thing, not a surprise. But so often it's as if we're surprised. Oh, wow, God showed up. What do you mean, wow? Don't, don't we expect God to show up every time that we pray? Every time that we meet, every time that we worship, we, we need revival. We need God's presence. Because we need God to work through our church to impact this community. God impacting a community through the church is normal. You understand that? In Acts chapter 17, verse 6. Acts chapter 17 and verse 6. 
the rulers cry out, these are the men that have turned the world upside down. They just showed up in the city. They hadn't been there very long, less than a month. And already they're saying, hey, we heard about these. Everywhere they go, things change. Was it the men or was it God? We call it the Acts of the Apostles, and that's fine. That's the title. I understand that's what's in your Bible. But it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. God wants Elmira Baptist Church to have an impact on this community. If we can meet week after week and month after month and year after year and our community isn't affected, then I'm sad to say I think we've fallen into that rut where we're satisfied with less than God wants for us. We need God's power. We need God's power but because without God's power, without God's power, Without God's power, serving him becomes a weariness. It becomes a labor. It becomes a work. In Micah chapter 6, verse 3, Micah 6, 3, God says to his people, Oh, my people, what have I done unto thee, and wherein have I wearied thee? And in Malachi chapter 1, verse 13, the people say about God's work, Behold, what a weariness is it. Why is it that God's work seems so hard to take so much effort? Because we don't have God's power. How many, of you have ever, how many of you have ever worked as a landscaper and used a power mower? And you pull on that bar and that mower just takes off. And then you ever use one of those real R-E-E-L mowers, the ones that have no gas motor in them and you've got to push them? Big difference, isn't there? Now, I'm telling you, you want the power mower. And when it comes to Christianity, we want the powerful Christianity. Not to make our lives easier. That's not the point. To glorify God. To glorify God. How is it that our community can take God's name in vain so lightly? Because they don't see God as either powerful or even real. We need God's passions, his love for people. That's why we ought to seek revival. We ought to seek revival for ourselves. We ought to seek revival for the sake of our loved ones. I mentioned earlier, people who are in bondage to sin, they're addicted. God can overcome those addictions. Some of you are testimony to that. Just last time we met in our praise and testimony time, someone stood up. It's been X number of years since I was addicted to this particular sin. By God's grace, I'm free. Some of you have friends and family who need that power of God to break addiction. It's easy. I know it's easy. We say, oh, I feel so badly for them. But do we care badly enough to fast and to pray so that God will break their addiction? Do we care enough to go to them and say, it doesn't have to be like this? Our theme this year, our theme this year is loving our neighbor. And what better way to love our neighbor than to be a channel of God's power to them and God's love to them. And it's because God loves us that he doesn't want us to be in bondage to sin. But we make excuses. Well, that's just the way it is. That's just the way America is. And as long as we make excuses, we're not going to be seeking God's power earnestly. We need God's power for the sake of our loved ones because we have broken people, people who are hurting. 
Not a week goes by that I don't meet or hear about a new person. Me personally, or you tell me about a new person close to you who is in such emotional pain or even physical pain, and it's because somebody else has hurt them. God has grace for that. Life doesn't have to be like that. We should seek God's power. We should seek revival for the sake of our children and for our grandchildren, for the next generation. The last one, for our generation, yes, but for the next generation. I am burdened because I think we're leaving the next generation a very poor example of Christianity. We're leaving them this idea that Christianity is a weariness, it's a work, it's a ritual, and it doesn't actually do anything. Now, you and I know different. You and I know the change that God has made in our lives because of his grace and his power. But they don't know that. True story, there was a fella, he had immigrated from um, Ukraine, if I remember right, to, this is decades ago, to Germany. He didn't realize that he was heir to about 950 million euros. And so here he is, he's working a job. He's making 150 euros a month, working as hard as he can, 150 euros a month. When his relative has left him shares in a German bank, property in Germany, in Italy, in France, jewelry. I feel like that's how we are. God has all this power waiting to be used. And again, I understand God's sovereignty in revival. I I do, I do. But we're not even interested in it. We want to know the next program. You know, we, I've got a, a fellow who's addicted. What's the next program he can try? He needs God's power. You and I, we go through life. We're so weighed down with the cares of life. When God says, be careful for nothing, we're so weighed down with the cares of life. How, how are you doing? Well, oh, it's been such a tough week. And you know, our kids look at that. Our grandchildren look at that and they say, if that's what life is, I don't want that. Do you blame them? When God wants us to be full of joy. These things I've written unto you, John says, that your joy may be full. We should seek revival for the sake of our children. Do you remember the children? And I know we call them the children of Israel in the book of Exodus, but I'm talking about those who are minors under the age of 18. And they're trapped in a system of slavery that isn't going to change unless God intervenes. But I'll tell you what their parents did that was very wise. It says in Exodus chapter 2, the end of that chapter, it says that the people cried unto God. Now, they may not have got a whole lot else right. But they understood that the only way out of their slavery was to cry to God. And who reaped the benefits of that? Their children. Because you remember, they didn't even make it. The parents didn't even make it into the promised land. Everyone under the certain age died in the wilderness. But the children got into the promised land. What if God said to you, I I won't give you the power and the revival that you're seeking, but I'll give it to your children. What would you be willing to sacrifice so that your children and your grandchildren experience a different, more powerful, more real Christianity than you experience? We should seek revival for the sake of our nation. Proverbs 14, 34 says that righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. 
Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. Now, some of you have lived abroad. And if you've ever lived abroad and been able to talk with the local folks, I can tell you what Mongolians know Americans for. Mongolians know Americans for rock and roll music, for hip hop, for R-rated movies, for abortion, for homosexuality. Ask them. They'll tell you, yeah, that's America. They're not wrong. Those things are definitely in the United States. Our nation as a group, as a whole, our culture promotes that. Our nation needs revival. The reason that America is exceptional is because there was a long period of time when we aligned our moral values with the word of God. We said, if God says it, it's right. We're going to try to do it. Now, we weren't perfect. Not everybody was a Christian. And there were a lot of evil things that Americans did because human hearts are filled with sin and selfishness. But as a group, we said, hey, murder is bad and lying is wrong and hard work is good. And life is better than killing things. We we said that. The further we get away from God's truth, the further we get away from God's truth, the less exceptional we will be. I believe in American exceptionalism, but I want you to understand, we are not exceptional because of who we are. We're exceptional because of who God is, and he's a faithful God, and he keeps his promises to those who obey him. Our nation needs revival because currently there are opportunities for world evangelism we've never had before. Imagine, go back even 50 years. Go back 50 years and tell someone that you can ship 1.1 million Bibles to Papua New Guinea their mind would have exploded. They were still exploring the interior of Papua New Guinea. It wasn't easy to get anything to Papua New Guinea. Today, you can get on an airplane. We could could drive from here, just a few hours away, we can drive to San Francisco and basically fly anywhere in the world in 14, 16 hours. What amazing opportunities for world evangelism. But guess what? Most Americans aren't interested in world evangelism. We need to pray for our nation. We should, most of all, though, we should seek revival for the glory of God. God is worthy. God is worthy of our, excuse me, God is worthy of glory, of our praise. Exodus 15, 11 Exodus 15, 11 says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? We should seek revival because we want to see God glorified. We want to see God exalted. We know God is powerful. We know God can do anything. We know that God can change hearts. We want other people to see that. So what would prevent revival. There's been a lot of talk about revival. I suppose every decade that goes by, somebody says, oh, revival broke out here. Oh, revival broke out there. I don't know. It doesn't seem to me like America is experiencing revival. I wish it would. And again, God is sovereign in granting revival to his people. It's not my choice. It's not your choice when God sends revival. It's a gift of God. Much like salvation, it is a gift of God. But also much like salvation. 
We're, we are the recipients. And there is, I think what we see, not I think, what we see in the Bible, we see it here. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? You have a heart that's turned toward God, that realizes without God's help, it's just going to be the same old sin over and over and over. Wilt thou not revive us again? I believe God's sovereign in granting revival. That's why I'm praying. Because I'm not going to change his mind, but I want to cooperate with what he's doing. And I can tell you, God is not pleased with Americans today. God is not pleased with us today. As a group, I'm not talking about individuals, I'm not talking about your family or even your church, but as a group, we as Elmira Baptist Church, I'm not talking about general Christians, I'm not talking about the people in Kentucky, Elmira Baptist Church can have a greater impact in our community. But so often, what hinders revival is our own sin. That's why I talked about sanctification last week, two weeks ago. So often, we allow our sin to come between us and a relationship with God that is fresh, that is vital, that's refreshing to us. Isaiah 59, Isaiah 59, first two verses, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor its ear heavy that he cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you so that he will not hear. Our sin hinders God's work. Someone described it this way, we, we, can't, de- we can't determine when the wind blows. If you're in a sailboat, if you're in a sailboat, you can't determine when the wind blows. But you can put your sails up. And what I'm asking us to do as far as revival is concerned, I'm not saying God's going to send wind or not. I don't know. But we can have our sails up. We can have an earnest expectation that God the Holy Spirit's going to work in my life. We can have an earnest expectation that God the Holy Spirit's going to work in our families, in our church, and that He's going to work in our community. Often, in addition to our sin, I think our lack of focus and our lack of faith prevents that full outpouring of God's power. And and frankly, when we pray for God's power, we're not praying for our lives to be easier. Because when God sends His power, our lives don't necessarily get easier. Oftentimes, they get harder. There's more work to do. And maybe it is that in our laziness and our contentment, we're just, okay, you know, I'm good. My family's good. My church is good. And we lack the focus and the faith to come before God and ask him to pour out his glory. If, if, if God were to pour out his glory, let's imagine, just thought experiment, that God pours out his glory and we recognize that God's pouring out his glory, would we change our schedules to spend more time worshiping and praising him? One aspect of the Asbury uh, University revival that I'm aware of is that they've had for some weeks an ongoing, round-the-clock, 24-7 time of worship and prayer and confession. Now, frankly, if this church were open 24-7, would you come any more than you do? When we meet tonight or this afternoon at 1.30, are you planning to be here? I mean, if you can't stay until 2.30 or 3 o'clock... Why would you pray for revival? I'm just being frank. Why pray for revival? What do you want to have happen? 
You want to see it. You want to taste it, but you don't have time for it. That's a lack of focus and a lack of faith. We can't control the wind, but we can set our sails and we can point our boat in the right direction. We can decide that there are some things that are more important than YouTube. I'm referencing our student recently. It's more, more important things than sports. It's more important thing than things than making money. When God pours out his glory, it means that he needs his people to be more committed. And I'm, I'm convinced that sometimes God would pour out his glory, but there's not enough commitment on our, our part to make it worth his time, so to speak. I understand God's sovereign. He does anything he wants. But there's a measure in the Bible. As you see revivals break out, there's a measure of cooperation. In Acts chapter 2, we see revival poured out on the day of Pentecost. We see the Holy Spirit appear as tongues of flame above their heads. We see them speaking in languages that they've not studied, but that other people understand. We see amazing things. 3,000 people were saved. And we forget that Acts chapter 1 tells us they met for 10 days in prayer before that. If I said to you, okay, we're going to have 10 days of prayer. It starts tomorrow. Would you be there? Would you come at all? Well, we're going to find out tomorrow night at seven o'clock. The Bongard's house. I'm going to be there. You say, if we all go to the Bongard's house, I tell you what, if you all show up at the Bongard's house, we will find room for you. (laughs) But we've got to decide what's important in life. Our prayerlessness, our prayerlessness breaks God's heart. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 59. I referenced verses 1 and 2, but I want you to see Isaiah 59 and verse 16. Isaiah 59 and verse 16 says this, And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. This is Isaiah 59, 16. He wondered that there was no intercessor. What's an intercessor? Someone who prays on the behalf of others. He himself may not need as much help as someone else, but he's praying for other people. And if you read this chapter, Isaiah 59, it sounds like modern day America. Truth has fallen in the streets. Lies proliferate. People groping in the darkness. Their feet are quick to run to do do evil. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. And God says, it surprised me that nobody took time to pray about that. Now, if God looked down on my prayer life, would he be surprised that there was no intercessor? If God looked down on your prayer life, would he be surprised that you don't pray more? Our nation is sliding into hell? And the most important thing is for me to catch the next ball game? Or the most important thing is for me to get that boat? Or the most important thing for me is to go viral on social media? Seriously. Our prayerlessness breaks God's heart. We can't control the wind, but we can control our sails. We can set our sails and we can point our boat in the right direction. And then we can get down on the deck of the ship and say, God, if you don't send a wind, we're lost. Now, I'm not guaranteeing revival because, again, it's God's sovereignty. But I would much rather be found faithful, praying for a revival that never comes 
than throwing up my arms and saying, well, I, I don't know, I'm just not going to pray about it. The Bible says that when Jesus returns, will he find faith on the earth? Now, it doesn't say whether he will or not. It just says, will he find faith on the earth? And I've often wondered, seriously, we'll get to that time when Jesus calls us home. And we know that that time is marked by a falling away. Bad things are happening. Is he going to find his people full of faith, praying, asking God to intervene? Or is he going to find his people sitting down saying, I sure hope Jesus comes back soon. It's getting really, really bad. If he doesn't come back soon, we're all doomed. Well, I believe if Jesus doesn't come back soon, we're all doomed. So if he's going to come back today, I want to be praying about it. If he's going to come back tomorrow, what better place to be found than on my knees asking God to intervene? And if he takes a year or 10 or a decade, that is 10 years, or a century, if he takes some time, I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You prayed, you were faithful. Our prayerlessness breaks God's heart. Do you really want revival? What would you be willing to change in your life for revival? Would you be willing to confess some sin and, and repent and forsake it and leave it behind? Because frankly, if you're going to hold on to your sin, don't ask for revival. God's going to stay. well, what about this? And if you say, well, you know, Lord, I, that one, I, that's, I, you got to understand. Would we be willing to pray more? Not just corporately on Sundays when we meet, not just on Monday night, we'll have a cottage home prayer meeting, not just on Wednesdays or on Saturdays, but would, be, would we be willing to spend more time in our prayer closet? No one else is going to know, but God's going to know. Do we really want revival? I'm going to ask you this week to go back to Psalm 80. 5 and verse 6. And memorize that verse. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? To meditate on what that means and to beg God to change your heart so that you personally desire revival. You personally want revival enough to change something. Again, revival is going to mean change in my life. It's going to mean change in your life. And if we don't really want revival, if we don't really, aren't willing to deal with change, we don't really want revival. We do what we're doing really well. Elmira Baptist Church does what we're doing really well. But it's not enough. Not enough to change the course of our community. Many of us know people this year who died of drug overdoses. People who were killed or seriously injured in drunk driving accidents. People who are in bondage to addiction and to sin. Evidently, what we're doing isn't enough. I mean, obviously, it's not enough. I'm asking you to care enough to say, God, we need a fresh outpouring of your spirit. We need the type of outpouring of your spirit where taverns close. Not because they change the law, but because nobody wants to drink. We need the type of revival where abortion clinics close. Because nobody wants an abortion. Amen. We need the type of revival where human trafficking laws don't need to be passed because human traffickers don't exist. Because God has convicted them. Do we? Revival doesn't start with them. Revival starts with me. Revival starts with us. 
Do we really want revival? Father, thank you for the uh, promise that you will come and take us home to be with you. That where you are, we will be. Thank you for the promise that when we see you, we will be like you because we will see you as you are. And I'm grateful for those promises. Father, I'm so burdened that those are the only promises we care about. That we're just sort of hoping we can hang on until the end. And yeah, the ride might get bumpy, but boy, we're going to be taken out of here. And thank you, Father, for that promise. Lord, I don't want to be content with watching the people I love around me continue in sin and in hurt and in selfishness, hoping that you'll come back before it gets too bad. I don't want to be content to just go through the motions and, and, and live out some ritual and watch my community degrade further and further, people for, farther and farther from truth, people more and more in pain because of their sinfulness. I, I, I'm tired, Father, of knowing that Mongolians know America as a place of hip-hop and homosexuality and abortion. I want our nation once again to be exalted, not because we're great, but because you're great. You tell us your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Your, Your forgiveness is there for the asking. But Father, we need your Holy Spirit to convict us, to change us. And too many of us, and I include myself, Lord, we're just content. We're doing a good job, but it's not enough. And I ask, Father, you change our hearts so we're no longer content with a good job. We want to see the greatness of your glory poured out, even if it means more work for us, even if it means change in our lives, even if it means some things that are awkward and uncomfortable in our lives. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? That's my prayer this morning. May it be all of our prayer. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.